What's up, y'all? It's your girl, MHMF, and you're listening to another episode of When Matriarchs Gather. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing the wonderful, groundbreaking, move-making Shanice Nicole. In today's episode, we talked about family, love, boundaries, and navigating the online world. This conversation was really grounding for me, and I hope it is for y'all too. Enjoy. So today, I have Shanice Nicole with me. I'm so, ooh, I feel like there's so much that I want to unpack with you that I'm like, I hope that we have a we have time. Mm, we <laughs> probably won't. Okay. We probably won't. We'll have to do a, a part two. But I'm re- I'm really excited. Um, Shanice is. A spoken word artist, a poet, mm-hmm. um, a facilitator, an educator. You work at the CD office. Um, are there any other titles that you you carry these days? Um, little clarification: I, I work at McGill. Slight restructuring at the university, so I'm no oh, longer at Seed. Okay. Yeah. So that's been a, a shift over the past six months or so. Okay. Since August or five months. Hmm. Um. But yeah, but you said it, writer as well. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, so I was thinking back to, I mean, it's one of those things when you know someone, um, like, because we, like, we're in similar communities, so it's like, Mm -hmm. we see each other, we know of each other, don't necessarily, I can't, like, think of, like, that was the moment that we met. Yeah. But I do um, remember the moment that I engaged with you the most, and it's kind of a funny thing, because it kind of came out of a negative place, which is not from my my part, Mm -hmm. but um, I was thinking about that, and I was like, I actually want to bring that to the table, because, um, so, a friend of mine, uh, they were kind of going through, like, social media anxiety, Mm-hmm. And feeling like, oh, like, you know, people are always posting and there's always like, there's always something that we have to like engage with and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they brought your name to the table. And they were like, yeah, you know, like, what is activism and da da And like, Shanice is always online and like posting all the time and da, da, da. And they felt a lot of anxiety around that. Mm-hmm. And at the time, like, I knew of you, had maybe seen you a couple of times. I'm not sure if we had met. But I got, like, um, that kind of sparked something in me. I was like, oh, who's this person, really? Mm. And, uh, and I went and checked out your profile. I think I friended you at that point on, on Facebook. And I was like, I really don't agree. <laughs> it was really, like, an interesting moment because, like, mm. they were really feeling like um, some of what we do online is empty and unnecessary um, kind of this fake activism. Um, and I really... Like, I see the point, and I feel like that that criticism is is real because there are so many people that are engaging with that in the, the, like, on a day-to-day basis. But when I was engaging with what you were bringing to the table, I was like, I really don't feel like that's what's happening here. I felt like it was a beautiful extension of how you move through... how you move through the world, and actually, one of the things that you told me on a on a beautiful date we had to we mm. had um, a couple of months now ago, if not a year ago, mm. um, was that uh, um, you use your Facebook as almost like a journal, and so, mm. and I and I really do feel that you know where it's just like these are not necessarily called to actions like sometimes there are, but a lot of it is just questions that like you're you're going through because mm-hmm. we're all going through and we're all yeah. trying to figure it exactly. out um and it was really like that was 
I feel like an, a different way through, to move through um, social media, and uh, and it inspired me. It's not something I could engage in because I feel like it takes. I, you know, being online is a lot of energy for me. <laughs> No, I was like, how do you do it, though? Like, that, that is real. That I'm like, ooh, how do you do that? But um, I really do feel like it comes from this very beautiful and, um, like, true place. So I, th- I wanted to start there. Hmm. So tell Thank me. You. How did How did this all kind of happen? How did you become a person who shares so much of who you are, um, who's engaged in so many communities, like, where did, the, like, if you had to trace back to how this started for you, where would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for starting with this. I, I want to take a minute to, like, just honor my, my own self-growth, because I feel like, I don't know, a year ago, maybe even less, to, like, to hear that what I will call is critique, even if it's not necessarily negative. I feel like I would have had a lot more anxiety in my body. Mm. Um, and which I think it really connects to that idea of like the, the culture and space on social media, which is, which is a lot of critique and a lot of judgment and not a lot of space for, um, yeah, checking in with each other and having conversations in person, face to face. But in this moment, I, I feel I feel grateful for that person's honesty and yeah, like they're, they're right to engage or disengage or to feel connected or not connected to, to me or to whoever. Um, and I think that's really important that people have like the space and autonomy to like figure out how they want to exist and like navigate, especially online. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I just want to like name that cause I feel like I, I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. And that's okay, you know? But a year ago, I think I would have been like, oh my God, oh my God. Someone wasn't down with what I said or whatever, you know? But I think it's, yeah, for me, and thinking about, like, my online presence is, there's a lot of, um, yeah, reflection about, like, what is it that I want to use this platform for and who am I speaking to? And then also just being okay that not everyone is going to want to listen or is going to want to hear what I have to say or is, is going dis- to disagree and that's okay, you know? I'm really interested in how we can like disagree with each other and still have love. Um, but yeah, so thank you for starting with that. I think it's it's always like humbling to, um, yeah, I don't know to have like those reflections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But your your question, which I'm forgetting now. Yeah, how did we get here? Um, I have always been an oversharer. <laughs> even before Facebook, which, and I just learned, learned that yesterday, I think, was my 12-year anniversary on Facebook. Oh, really? Like, that feels like a lifetime. Wild, yeah. That's, like, when you, you know, I have a baby, and so now I look at years as, like, the size of children, and I'm like, 12. Yeah. 12 is, like, a, like yeah. a big child. Yeah, preteen. <laughs> like, I've literally spent almost over a decade on Facebook, wow. oversharing, which means there's a lot of information about me. On the internet, which is scary, but also, like, you know, it is what it is. I love that. Um, but, yeah, but as you said, for me, like, Facebook, I don't journal, and I really wish I did. I wish I had a more intentional writing practice, but, again, things will come in their own time. Um, so, yeah, my Facebook is, like, really just the space where I just, like, as you said, question um, a lot more questions than answers, I hope, anyways, and I just, like... 
yeah, share my reflections with people, and it, and it seems to resonate. And some people are not into it, and that's that's so so fine. Um, I didn't always feel like that, but I'm in a place now where I'm I'm okay with people. Um, yeah, having their own opinions and um, yeah, I, and I respect that. But for me, I it was my Facebook is a way for me to connect with people who are in my community and those who are not. Um, I have a lot of access and power, and um, I'm often in a position of teaching, but I'm also just learning so much all the time. And so I think about, like, how can I share everything um, that I'm getting access to and then everything that that access is, like, bringing up for me, you Mm -hmm. know? And also thinking about, like, the limited number of people who get to be in in like specific learning spaces um so i think about the power of things like social media to expand those doors and those walls mm-hmm. um yeah and for me it's just it's been a a space where i get to process and to reflect um and it's a lot to do that in my head by myself and so i'm like why not just share with everyone who's listening and <laughs> following and judging or not or whatever you know um and it's also interesting to think about, like, the, the phases as well. Um, I've kind of, like, my Facebook presence and, uh, you know, like, the early years, I think, I feel like everyone was kind of finding their footing. With, I mean, Facebook has also changed a lot over the years, you know, mm-hmm. but um, there's, of course, high school days, which, you know, we don't talk about those, <laughs> those days or those statuses. <laughs> Um, the, the memory feature is always so scary. You're just like, why? Why oh did you post that? Mm-hmm. Or like, why are you using emoticons in that weird way? Oh my goodness. Or whatever. Um, yeah, but I guess, I guess two like, I guess major periods that I think about, um, one would have been around 2012, which is when Trayvon was murdered. Mm-hmm. So that was like a... Yeah, real... I talk about that moment being, like, a big catalyst for me. Um, it it really changed, like, the way I, I saw the world, the way I saw blackness in the world, the way I, like, saw myself as a black woman in the world. Um, and it came with a lot of anger mm. and a lot of new anger as well. Very, um, yeah, in terms of, like, my background, very much coming from a place where... Um, was always, like, conscious of my black identity, um, but it never, I guess, not conscious to the point where I I was aware. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I didn't, I didn't, like, see my blackness in relation to, for example, experiences of oppression, mm-hmm. or just, like, the realities of, of what black folks have been experiencing and are still experiencing. Yeah. Um, so there was like that awareness, but not that full kind of like eye opening. Um, and that's also not to like, um, exclusively associate blackness with violence or oppression, which is also really important, but just, yeah, some clarity around where I was coming from. Um, and then Trayvon was murdered and, and it was like, you know, right in my heart, um, for, and for a lot of people. and, And so... Facebook was also that space where I was, like, expressing that anger and and the, also the very typical, like, 
I'm angry, why aren't you? <laughs> and why aren't you as angry as I am about this thing, even though there are a lot of things to be angry about, mm-hmm. um, many of which I wasn't even aware of, you know? But I think, I think that feeling is very normal. Um, and also maybe, like, connects back to that anxiety that your friend was feeling, you know, that, I, that idea of, like, having to be aware of absolutely everything and acting mm-hmm. on absolutely everything, which is not at all possible or productive. Yeah, um, sure. But for me, that's, like, where I was in that in that period of time, and, and that continued for, I mean, the murders continued, so my anger yes. continued and escalated. Um, but I would say more recently there was, in the past few years maybe, or... I don't know, Facebook time is weird, but um, a little bit of a shift in like the way that I was using the platform. And and so I would still say that there is definitely anger, um, but maybe a broader range of emotions mm-hmm. and reflections and like, um, yeah, and I think that, and I think that just comes with like growth and learning, you know, and my maybe also like moving into a more like intentional educational role had a, had a shift on that as well and thinking of like how I wanted to use that platform. Um, and so it's interesting just to think about how like there are, uh, yeah, shifts or moments in time and, and how the way I've engaged with Facebook has changed. Um, but where I'm at now feels feels really good and feels, and I feel like, people are connecting with it as well. Um, kind of that wider range of of emotion and again, not to like negate the importance of anger, but I think about um, how can I just show my like human self to the world mm-hmm. um, in all of its parts, like the messy ones and the not so messy ones and just to, like remind people that like, I'm just also a human who's like learning and figuring my way. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's interesting that you talked about the um, that shift for you, and then the um, like the educational mm-hmm. aspect, because I feel like uh, one of the things that I think about in, in the way that you engage online is that um, it's very clear to me that you're a facilitator. You know, what I mean, like had that not known that aspect of your work and mm-hmm. not even seen that, you know, like that title, quote unquote. Um, I think I would have been like, this is this is a facilitator. And I feel like, for me, um, I engage with your posts more than I would in other spaces, like other people's pages or whatever, because um, there's... Um, it's interesting because I think that, like, sometimes it's as, as simple as the way that the question's asked or whatever that creates... Um, that kind of facilitates how the response will be, right? So I feel like when it's um, when I like if I post on your post, I feel like generally speaking, the comment section in your post is uh, a healthy, constructive conversation. We might not agree, but like I f- like I feel there's a lot of love there for the mm. most part. I've never had this experience of like going to one of your comment section and being just like blown away by the anger. Not not even the anger because like you said, anger I think is a very beautiful. Not a beautiful, but like an important emotion that mm-hmm. we can't just like overlook. Yeah. But also, but this like you know where there's sometimes there's like spewing, mm-hmm. <laughs> spewing that can be just really like toxic and isn't really necessarily going anywhere. Um, I've seen that happen in other comment sections where I'm just like, okay, this is that I can't be in those spaces. You know yeah. what I mean? Like even if it's it might seem this like quote unquote online space, but it's like I think that you know the online aspect is even 
can be more intimate like if we think about where we take our cell phones right like i don't do this anymore because i have a kid and i've and i've been really trying to be conscious of how i use social like um devices and such but i used to you know read posts in bed and so it's like to have that like anger and and, and spewing and etc cetera, etc cetera, reading that while you're in your bed is a very like intense mm-hmm. feeling you know um and so when i <laughs> so when i post it i'll be like oh I'm posting on Shanice's post. It's cool. Like, I don't feel like it's going to end up going haywire. And I think that that's part of, like, your facilitation. It's, like, whether or not um, it's, like, super intentional, I'm not sure. But I feel like there is an atmosphere that you've created where people um, come to bring their thoughts and not come to attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, thank you. I I will say that... um, that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think about, like, the, the growth, you know, and the learning that I've, yeah, that I've learned, you know, off of Facebook and also on Facebook that I've been able to bring into my platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the facilitation part is also an important piece, as you're saying, and, and what I've tried to do is to create a learning space for people, um, and both for myself and for others. And And I think being like, honest and vulnerable, um, personally, like, gives people permission to do the same. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because you can totally pull up statuses from previous years where that anger has, like, been in the comment section, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and also that I've, like, perpetuated or I've sustained or upheld or whatever. And so I also want to, like, kind of name that had that that's been a shift that I've, like, moved towards mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, inviting people to share, inviting people to, like, reflect and remember that everyone is c- coming from different places and levels is is really important because similarly to, like, when I'm in a classroom space, there's not much different from a classroom space and then an online space mm-hmm. in that sense where people are going to have such a range of understandings and of questions and reflections. And I think it's... Um, I think we do each other a disservice when we when we don't allow for that, like, reality, mm-hmm. you know, and that perception that everyone needs to, one, like, perform perfection, which I'm, like, actively against and really, like, want to challenge that idea of being perfect online or offline. Um, and so, yeah, and I think by, like, opening up that space on my platform to be, like, ask your questions or share what you're thinking, um, you know, if you're observing and you have something to offer, like, feel free to contribute, you know, but be mindful of how people or where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. And this is not at all to, like, negate. I think that often gets, we, like, live in such a binary world, you know? So it's, like, if I do that, then that means I'm excusing and approving of violence, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's not at all. It's <clears throat> just, like, how do we, I'm really interested in the gray space these days, you know? So how do we, like, be in that moment of messiness or complexity or... Even, um, like, yeah, like, shit, that's wrong, you know? Like, how do we, like, sit in that and to be like, okay, how do we, like, have a conversation now? Yeah. And not run. Or if we have to run, how do we, like, respect that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is Sorry. also bringing me to, because um, it feels like a very natural, like, progression to um, another thought I have about uh, the way I see you move in this world. Um I mean, I'm not crazy about the word intersectionality um, because a lot of words that come out of 
academic thought are not always super well rooted, but um, I did want to use that as like an opening to talk about the fact that I see how um, you honor and respect so many different communities and kind of walk that line of like bridging these people together, you know, mm -hmm. like there's certain, um, some of the things that I've been thinking about a lot in terms of how we work in the world is um, is like how intimacy plays a very significant role in what we care about and how we do things in the world. So yeah. like um, the difference between like if you hear something on the news versus if your best friend tells you about something like what oh, how much of a different call to action that actually is and mm -hmm. um, all of that. And I feel like you play that role so well where you know it's like you know that people care about you you know that there are people who are listening to you that see you that um are engaging with you because it's you and um i see you negotiate that role a lot to be like hey while i have your attention will you also care about this mm. will you also care about this and this and that um and that's been really um I, I feel like it's a very graceful dance of also realizing, and you, this is the second time you bring up growth in the, just in this moment of just in your graceful dance, right? I feel like we're growing with all of the, the experiences that you're accumulating over time, you know? So it's like, okay, so what does it mean to engage with indigenous communities? What does it mean to care about trans life? What does it mean to um, think about accessibility? Like all of these things that I see you amassing over time. Mm -hmm. And then by, by just following you, end up being part of that process, right? right. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I like the way you phrase a graceful dance. I don't always feel graceful, so thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's great timing. I just actually was meeting with a professor um, at McGill earlier today, and so she's invited me to come do a guest lecture with her students, uh, and the theme for one of their classes this term is on allyship. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, we were just having a conversation about that earlier, and I think allyship, allyship and ally is another one of those words that... Um, yeah, has become a buzzword, and I have a lot of feelings about buzzwords. Um, <laughs> but I think it's still an important word, and I think, and specifically allyship over ally, and, and thinking about allyship being a verb and a process and not a noun or a title that we claim. Um, and so I don't, I don't claim the, the title or the term ally. Um, and for me, that's also important because... Um, to understand allyship as a process means that you understand that it's an ongoing learning experience or that dance, as you mentioned, um, which means I'm always and forever going to have work to do, yeah. which also means because I have that work to do specifically about experiences that are not mine means that I, um, I have to recognize that I can and do and will cause harm. Mm. And I think that's really important to kind of hold that and to be really like yeah to hold that responsibly you know and I think the the challenge around like the self-proclamation of, of being an ally um is to assume that, that that work is done and that therefore you can be 
trusted, but more specifically that you your understanding is at such a point in which you you won't and can't hurt someone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really dangerous. Because oh, um, we all have the capacity to harm. And I think, again, in these like really binary conversations of like oppressor and oppressed or... yeah the person who does harm and the person who is receiving, receiving it, you know, like doesn't leave a lot of space for that complexity. Um, but to think about allyship as a process or a dance means that there's always space to do better and to learn and to, um, to like leverage your power, you know. And so for me, thinking about allyship is thinking about like, how do I leverage the power that I have and the access that I have? Um, and then that means also recognizing that I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going to, yeah, mess up, um, possibly hurt someone, um, possibly not ask the right questions or listen to the right answers. And so I think being honest about that is really important. Um, but I think the other important piece is just trying, you know. And so for me, I'm thinking about, like, how do we um, encourage more people to try? And I think online social media culture um, makes it sometimes difficult to try because of that fear of making a mistake or that fear of causing harm, which are, like, important fears, but I think the challenge is when the fear causes complete inaction, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I think about, like, how do, well, then how can I just, like, do my part and then invite people to join me in whatever way feels possible for them and responsible for them and that's going to look like a lot of different things um but yeah but it's really just about trying you know I love that that's Mm -hmm. really great I um I've been thinking about that a lot um for myself uh one of the things that I one of my fears and like I think I'm gonna have to do a whole talk about this Mm -hmm. at one point but it's um I care so deeply for the black community with a Y and then black communities, the Mm -hmm. plural. And, um, and I get sometimes so much fear to do something wrong because we've been wrong so many times that I, like, it almost makes me want to disactivate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's debilitating really where you're just like, it's too much. It's too much pressure. It's like, there's, you know, and, and I feel like that's such an important thing to just be like, we need to try and we need to be there. And particularly from like, as people who, um, uh, have some sort of common ground of, of like, not that we have a un, uh, uniform experience, but there's like some entry points there, mm-hmm. that important entry points to honor. And so it's like when, if we're not trying what's happening, you know, around yeah. us, um, so I wanted to ask you this because I, I think that, um, you know, when we get put in these educator, facilitator, um, teaching roles, and obviously, like, I think that the teaching experience is a, is a two-way street. It's mm-hmm. always, like, you, there isn't, there's always moments where we're students even in, like, our, our teaching experiences. Absolutely. But I wanted to know what are spaces in which... Um, you do your learning like outside of when you're doing this facilitation and all of that like where do you where are the experiences the spaces the the places the books whatever like what keeps you a student right sorry um yeah that's a great question and i'll just i'll add on um before we move there just previously i think another thing that's really important in the context of allyship is 
starting small and starting where you are. Yes. You know, I think we like, especially I think in, in online spaces where like the, like the range of what you have access to is almost too much, you know? And so that's just like, oh my God, where do I start and how do I save the world? today tomorrow you know oh, yeah, it's gotta happen right yeah i have right 12 now. hours you know well because you know global warming and so like we know, have no time, time. You know? no time so <laughs> even that like feeling of, of oh my gosh of rush and of um urgency and while it's it's totally real like there it's is an real, urgency but, but i think it's yeah. like okay how do we slow down and turn inwards and also just like start with the self mm-hmm. you know so much of my learning um which I'll, a good segue into the into your question is has been like self learning, you know, and so, and that I get to like do in teaching spaces. But as you said, outside of the outside of that, it's also really important that I'm that I'm able to like, um, yeah, see this process is one that is like ongoing, and which means there's always going to be something to learn every single day. I'm, I'm questioning myself. I'm checking myself. Um, and then, like, offering that back to other people to do the same, you know? Because I think it's very easy to, to feel like, okay, cool, I got it. I've learned it all. <laughs> Done. <you know? laughs> Check mark. And then something pops up, and you're like, oh, shit, wow. Didn't even <laughs> see that coming. You know, I thought I was done with this topic. And it's a good reminder that, that there is no finish point. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about these things in a really linear way. And so to kind of reframe that as, as, a, as an ongoing process that will continue until we die you know you're literally going to learn as long as you're living you're learning um or or could be should be mm-hmm. which, which is how i think about it um i learn so much from the comment section mm. on facebook um and i think about how yeah I, again i think and i think it's also important that like who you are like following and who's like on your platform on your newsfeed is obviously going to shape your oh, yeah. interaction, right? For so sure. um, in my case, I, I follow really, like, dope people across across lines of difference as well, whether it's gender, race, or class, or ability, sexuality. Um, and so I'm learning from people. I think, as you said, that's, that's the most transformative learning is when you, when you hear someone else's story. Um, and for me, that's been really powerful as someone who didn't, who didn't receive, I would say, like, this type of learning or education in a class, in a university classroom. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people I know, and I think a lot of people who even like um, claim or even embody like the, the term activist or whatever, like any term um, around like activism, education, um, engagement, uh, learned a lot of what they know, including theory in university classrooms. Okay. Um, so whether that was, you know, studying women's or gender studies or um, I think about, like, you know, learning about feminism in a university classroom is a very, very different, <laughs> is a different experience, you know, oh, one yes. that I didn't have. And so I learned, well, I learned about feminism first from my mother and my aunties and my grandmas. But um, the, the next formal learning space was at, like, a community level. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also really informed my understanding and also like um the way that i that i get to teach that now in in my like education role um and it's also important for me to name that like i didn't learn about the theory but because of like my access i can 
it's not difficult for me to that to like to learn about theory now if that makes sense I think that's also really important but I think for me that process shaped the way that I get to engage or reflect or invite people in um and I like to think that I'm like being more accessible and more um like more I guess clear than perhaps people who have only learnt theory and what they know in a specific academic space, mm-hmm. which totally, which totally, hum, you, like, I mean, after that learning, you have to do some unlearning to be able to, like, you know, <laughs> to explain what the fuck you're talking about. So, so I feel very grateful that I, that I got to learn in a different kind of environment. Um, but again, because of, like, my, my access and my privilege, especially around class, I, I have to always be checking myself to be like, do people understand what you're saying? Do you even understand what you're saying? You know? Um, because we use a lot of a lot of words and a lot of terms that are words and terms, you know. Yeah. And so I think about like the action, um, the action like behind them and how we're like living it, you know, and really walking that walk. Because um, a so lot of us can do a lot of talking. For sure. Yeah. It's interesting you talked about um, your aunties and your mama mm-hmm. and stuff, and um, it kind of made me think about how you were talking about. Uh, learning not being linear and I think that that's like when I think about the generations before us and um their like continued work right um that's when I realized how non-linear like our um our life here is and um you know like this it's I um I think a lot of people like the term standing on their shoulders and I and I respect that as one part but I really do feel like our knowledge isn't just like toppled on top of something that they did because that kind of makes it sound like there was an end to what they're Mm -hmm. doing and it's like even in the like I find that a it kind of alienates our elders and makes them not so relevant in community work um, after a certain Mm. expiration date on one level and then on another level it's as if those learnings don't still exist in our present you know like the 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 repercussions of it the just like the continued thought like the fact that we're um, reworking through them it's like these knowledges are just are living really like you know they 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 continue to bloom through from season and they're almost cyclical in a lot of ways right um so yeah it's really i'm happy that you brought your mama and your aunties and your Mm -hmm. grandma to the table because i think that that's a a really important aspect of it right it's like if we are in a non-linear world then that means that the way that they taught us and everything that um that came before is here like all of that is still kind of like in works together to move towards a you know a liberation or whatever yeah no totally it's like how do we, um, yeah? How do we how do we create space for our, for our elders mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and the people in our life that we love who who maybe didn't have that access? And so I think about like how do I, you know, have conversations with my mom who didn't go to university and didn't learn about feminism in the classroom, um, or any of the theories that we can like you know discuss. Um, but who, who taught who taught me like how to be an activist, you know? And so, I think about how sh- how she wouldn't maybe be given given space or given access, um, or even like recognized in some cases like recognized as someone who is like valuable or can contribute, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think about the danger in that because all of the people who are left behind, oh, for sure. who should be leading or who should be 
you know, in the middle or at least at least present at the very least. Um, and so it's a good reminder for me as well when I when I learn something and then I bring it back to my mom. Um, how do I have a conversation about what I've learned with my mother in a way that um, like empowers versus disempowers her mm-hmm. and in a way where I I'm yeah, coming to her with information that I have recently learned, you know. And I think there's a the dance there as well um, comes up for me in terms of I think it's so easy to be like, okay, cool, I learned this thing, therefore I'm an expert. <laughs> and let me teach you. Let me teach you. you. Know? And sometimes they've been knowing. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we've, we've been doing that. Totally. And like, oh, well, we now have a catchy term for it. <laughs> right, exactly. And so it's so humbling to be in those moments of reminder and checking yourself as well. And again, I think about like, how do we just bring more people in and open up more doors? For sure. And also just like um, understand different types of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the knowledges I see in your family um, that you share with the, the world is, um, is cooking and how you guys mm-hmm. cook together and like I, I mean I'm, I'm a like those are the t- those are the things that keep me on social media is right. to see these images of like um, you know generations cooking together and spending time together and, and all of that and um, like cooking is not a big thing in my family because my mom no mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was just that was a no for her um, she shares a lot of other things with me but <laughs> cooking was not one of them and um, and I'm so curious about um, especially because I'm a big eater, <laughs> I'm so curious about what is what's the knowledge that's in our food. What's the like? What are the things that like? What are the like hidden messages we're passing down in these like um, in this act that we have to do on a daily? You know, mm-hmm. um, my mom. It's funny because like I'm I'm not a big cook, but my mom is always telling me she's like you cook like your grandmother, and mm. I didn't know my grandmother. And she's like, the way like you the the ingredients that you put together because I'm always trying to like hide <laughs> veggies in all of our fruits, <laughs> um, like green smoothie, whatever. I'm always trying to like right. put things mainly because I don't particularly like veggies, so okay. I'm, like I'm always trying to find a new way to like mm. actually deal with it. Um, and so my mom was like, it's funny because you you really do that in the same way that your grandmother does. Um, and she was always like worried about like our like health like as like a like a family and a legacy of like how will uh, like she you know I'm a big Creole fan but she wouldn't like cook Creole which is like pork, fried pork because she was just like this is not what's going to keep my family healthy on mm. the long term and whatever um, and so there was a knowledge there like she had this forethought and this intention um, and this like vision for her legacy that she was putting in food. Right. And that goes and gets passed on. Um, yeah, and so it's like, I feel like there's so many things that we don't really get to tap into because of, like, the way that, uh, you know, academic knowledge is popularized, uh, social justice knowledge is popularized, but these other knowledges in the world that exist, um, you know, uh, how we tend to the land, like, all these other knowledges um, are out there, and we're not accessing them because they're not quite popular at the mm. moment, you know, so. I love that. Um yeah, I love food. I know. <laughs> I love it. I love that you love food, and I love that you love sharing. It. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, yeah, and I've always like loved food, and um, it's also interesting because I well, I grew up seeing both of my parents cook, um, and and not just cook, but clean and take care of the house. Um, so I think that 
also had a huge kind of impact on like my my upbringing and my like outlook on responsibility and mm. what it means to create a home and a family mm. um, and what I've also brought into like my, my relationship right now um, with Wanley and what we share but I think um, that yeah the relationship or the role of food in the family is a really powerful thing regardless of like how much cooking happens or who who does the cooking or whatever like I think there's something really powerful about about connection through food and storytelling through food as well. Mm. Um, and one thing that's been interesting for me as well around like learning and growth is I would say I would say recently I've been um, trying to be more intentional about like learning how to cook Caribbean recipes mm. um, because that isn't what I was necessarily taught. Um, and my, my parents also didn't cook a lot of Caribbean food. So, like, the Caribbean food I had was, was often if I was, like, going to an auntie's house. Um, but my parents didn't cook a lot of Caribbean food, um, or at least, like, not regularly. Like, if we were going to have Caribbean food, it would be more of, like, a treat. Um, and so I think about about that as something that's interesting in terms of, like, the learning and then, and then the space I've created to kind of learn um, and then to, like, share that back with my mom. So I went home recently and I made... Um, some curry lamb for my grandma and my mom, which was just so lovely. My grandma lives in England most of the year, and so that was just really special to be able to, like, cook food that they recognized that they hadn't had in a while. Again, the idea of, like, a tree and lamb is also just such a treat. I mean, really, Um, lamb. You know, and so (laughs) that was, yeah, to, like, you know, like, bought my lamb in Montreal and, like, brought that up to Toronto and seasoned it there and then cooked it for them. Yeah, I think that that's, like, such a beautiful gift, you know, and to be able to share and to learn and to ask questions. And But my my relationship with, with food and cooking, I'd say, is closest with my dad, who also lives in England now, and so also thinking about just we don't get to see each other often, but we connect through food, and so we... We send each other pictures and videos of the food that we're that we're making, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think about yeah, technology as well, even just to be able to share that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's really powerful, and um, and yeah, yeah, the other blessing that I'm so so, all of my family is either in Toronto or in England, in London or in the Caribbean, of course. But Wandley's family lives here and is really close, and so. His auntie lives upstairs, and his mom and dad are next door. Yeah. And so I literally have Haitian food coming from all the directions <laughs> all the time, and it's so, yeah, biggest blessing of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and to also then think about, like, I haven't started yet, but to, to start thinking about um, learning and cooking Haitian cuisine is something I'm really excited about, mm-hmm. and it's been on my list of things to do forever. Um, but I really want to to go spend some, some Sundays with Wanley's mom and learn how to cook Haitian food and rice in particular because I know how to cook all this food, but I don't know how to make rice yet, oh, which man. is really embarrassing. But it's, it's okay. okay. It's okay. So, thank you for sharing. 2019. <laughs> <Yeah>. Resolutions. <laughs> make rice. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so funny because it's so simple yeah. in a way, but it is the core. I mean, in Haitian food, at least. It's, the, it's totally. Like, nothing exists without the rice. Totally. And it's like there's... 
That's a one thing. I feel I'm like I could, like. I could make, I could make rice, just like a basic plain rice. But there's something about Haitian rice in particular is it's, like it's art. unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Like, there's nothing like it in my opinion. Yeah. There's no other rice like it. Yeah. Um, I I fully agree. I and mean, so there's there's no something rice. there's something happening that like I need you know you need to just watch mm-hmm. you know I can't just Google it no. to be like how do how do you make it taste like this. Um, so funny. I'm so it's like I, I love that you said that. That's the one thing I do not know how to make Haitian food. Yeah. The one thing I know how to do make, and it's because I was really adamant about it as a kid. I remember being like six or seven, at most eight, and really like being like, "Mom, I need this. This feels crucial. Yeah. I need to yeah. know how I know to nothing make else. this. And nothing, nothing else. else. I, I don't know. need to know how to make it's anything such a else. Crucial, but crucial this feels step. crucial. I yeah. need to know how to make this." Now I do, yeah. but I need to also learn the other things. <laughs> totally, yeah, there's so much, but no rice and, yeah, love to learn how to make lalo. Mm-hmm. Although there's something just about, oh. like, receiving it in the big container. Don't even, also really I beautiful. mean, come on, don't bring me to uh, lalo. It's, like, one of my favorite things ever. It really is. Me, like, lalo, kalalu. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's, let's yeah. stay, let's stay totally. back. Let's bring it's it back. not dinner time yet. <laughs> Um, you know, I, you shared so much right there that I'm like, I'm trying to, I want to bring, like, I want to zoom it into one area, mm-hmm. but there's so much that we talked about and this is what happens, you know, it's like you start a conversation we can go in so many places, but, mm-hmm. um, family was a big theme and mm-hmm. I think that, um, one of the things that stuck out to me because we were a foster family as well when I was younger, um, was that aspect of your story and I was wondering for you, how has that experience um, kind of informed how you think about family? Because I think for me, it's really revolutionized just the way I think about family and what, who I call family, what I consider family. Like, I did, it really broadened that a lot for me. Um, and also just in, in carving my own family and just like thinking about who has family, who doesn't have family, what, like all of these questions um, mm-hmm. were like worked through a lot through being a foster sister and um, the older sister in a lot of con- contexts because I, was, I wasn't super old when my mom started fostering. I was like 10, I think, but I was still the older child. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, my parents heard it on my, it was my seventh birthday. Oh, really? Yeah, my seventh birthday. Um... And, yeah, they continued for quite a few years. Um, And so I think, like, over the years, say over over 10 years or so, um, and then a few years after I moved to Montreal, which was in 2009. uh, So I probably had, I think, 14 or 15 foster brothers and one sister. Um, And, yeah, so it was a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. And... And a lot of learning that, especially now, I can reflect on differently as well. Um, But I think there were definitely challenges that, like, you know, impact um, relationship dynamics, you know, between my parents, um, which had a pretty huge impact. uh, But then also, you know, between us, kind of within within that family unit as well. And I think a thing as well that was pretty impactful was that my parents their focus, or I guess rather like capacity, was supporting primarily black boys and black boys who were coded as having like behavioral issues, Mm -hmm. which is just another way of saying black boys who have experienced a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so that was, that was, uh, that was hard, you know, as, as a young kid, um, yeah, living in a home and recognizing that there were kids who had needs that I didn't have. And that also meant that I had to be able to, um, without maybe knowing how to, like to create space for that, you know, at seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 11. And so, yeah, and so there's a lot of, a lot of like learning, especially now on the other end of it, to be able to like, to look back and to, to, to see that and to honor my like seven-year-old self. You know, um, but then also to think about these black boys in particular who, who needed a home and who needed love that my parents were able to provide. Um, but yeah, but I, I think I think about that experience as being really foundational to my my like reflections about like serving and um, and showing up and very grateful to my parents and in particular my mother for like those lessons that I think I've I've really kind of um yeah just integrated into my life you know Mm -hmm. how do you just give Mm. um even when you don't have a lot or enough but it's like how do we how do we show up for each other um yeah even amongst like scarcity um yeah and I yeah and I think about how we can do that more um so I'm not living in Toronto anymore, but I think about here and I think about the need here and I think about how how black folks are showing up for each other or how they're not or how we can do a better job mm-hmm. of doing that and thinking in particular about black youth and black kids and babies who who need that love. Um, and again, who, because of like things like anti-blackness are not are not given that, that opportunity or that space or, for example, like being coded as having behavioral issues and no one wants to really sit down and identify the trauma um and the pain and like the 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 harm that has like led to that point or that like results in things that we like classify as behavioral um problems especially in in schools and um and so that's also been interesting to kind of i spent some time working in high schools as well with primarily black youth and so kind of just seeing the progression and kind of like that um, that pipeline, you know, where it's like we look at these black youth and make so many assumptions um, and don't ask nearly enough questions, mm-hmm. you know, about their stories. Um, but yeah, so so for me that was a real transformative part of my life, you know, and so I think about just creating more space for others to do the same. Mm-hmm. That's so, um, I'm so happy that the, that question kind of brought us back to this point because um, the last question I wanted to ask you was, you know, at this point in your life with everything that you're doing in the world, um, which I'm going to, you know, we're, I guess it's not really the last question because I want you to tell the people what you're working <laughs> on right now. But the last question in terms of just a, um, this conversation is, what is your biggest challenge these days? Like, what are you finding the hardest to work through in in the work that you do and, and how present you have to be, and especially when you're put in uh, leading roles or facilitation or et cetera, et cetera. It's like there's like a responsibility to stay healthy too, you know, and, and to make sure that you're well. Um, so what's the biggest thing that you're working through right now? Yeah, yeah, super important. Um, yeah, I think... 
I think my biggest challenge has also been like my biggest like learning, which is around boundaries. Um, and again, I think about like that ongoing learning process that I mentioned earlier, and boundaries is a thing that's like a lifelong learning process. And so um, I'm really, really proud because I've come a long way. Hey. Like I said, therapy works wonders. What's up? Um, Snaps for that. Yeah. Snaps for that. But it is, yeah, it's a constant thing of like, okay, how do I renegotiate my boundaries or negotiate at all? Um, how do I like center myself and to feel to feel not only okay, but to feel like empowered to do that, especially when you like think about like that people pleasing history. Um, and so like, yeah, centering myself really challenges that idea of, of um, yeah, of those other messages of you need to be pleasing everyone, you know? And so to say, actually, no, I can please myself right now or as a starting point, I think is, is really important. Um, but yeah, and I think also working in different spaces and at different levels comes with challenges as well. And so I think being really like honest about what your power is and where your power is is really key for me. And so um, whether that's me working in a really, really, really big institution like McGill and feeling really, really small um, <laughs> at times, um, but then, you know, being able to, like, have that reflection of, like, well, what is my purpose here and what is my responsibility here and what can I do with what I have um, has been really important and has been, like, probably a huge learning curve and opportunity for me since I started a few years ago. Um, but, yeah, but then also just at a, at a personal level, so not so much a professional level, but at a personal level, how do I, like, just find ways to come back to me and to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and um, and the people that I love as well. You know, I think yeah. I think so much about um, on my wall at home. I have uh, a piece of fabric, and on the fabric says uh, the revolution starts at home. Uh, and so I think about that often. You know, so how do I like? Yeah, really do that self work and that internal work, and again thinking about like my relationship with my partner being like, the most important relationship in my life. Mm -hmm. And, like, that is, like, the most important work in my life. And so to be able to come back to that um, every day and to, like, wake up with that reminder is really important. And so when I go out into the world, that is, like, my driving force, you know? And thinking about, like, how I, as an individual, can have impact um, and hopefully inspire others to do the same. But, again, the, that's not, like, the main goal. You know, the main goal is that I can, like... Yeah, just make the world uh, a little bit of a better place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for the work that you do. Mm, thank you. On yourself and in the world. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank yeah. you so much. Um, so before we go, mm -hmm. you got lots of things going on. Lots of things. You got lots and lots of things. Lots of so things. Um, yeah, tell us what's uh, tell us what's up. What should we show up for? Um, how do you need our support? Like. Yeah. What do we need to be at, and how can we um, just engage with what you're doing in the world? Mm -hmm. Well, this weekend is Luck Magna. Oh, yeah. Which, which I'm actually going to be in. Hey. Yay. <laughs> when is your show I'm or there, thing? I'm on, on a panel at uh, uh, with a Strange Fruits film, which is on the 27th, the Sunday. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm part of that show, that festival again, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, last year, I, I curated my own show for my birthday. Um, 
do a little fundraiser, but this year I'm part of a show that Shades Lawrence is putting on, which mm-hmm. is Sunday night and at 8. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to do some spoken word. Yeah. It's really exciting, or some outspoken word, because... Uh, and I wrote a new piece, which I'm really excited so to mind share. So that's a Sunday night, the 27th. Yeah, the 27th. Yes. Um, doors at 8 o'clock at CASA. Um, so really excited to be part of that again and to be on stage. And then um, basically we're moving into Black History Month. And so one of the, the hats I wear at McGill is to coordinate Black History Month at the university, which is really exciting. And so this is our third, our third annual year mm-hmm. um, of celebration at like an institutional level um, and so we have a lot a lot planned which is really exciting I will send you like a list of the events so you can you can post it probably yeah to I'm see. gonna put it up on the, the blog y'all okay so you can check that out um, is there a place to follow is there like a Facebook or something yeah the Facebook page um, Black History Month at McGill is the best place to kind of stay in the loop um, we're like figuring out website stuff so for now Facebook is is ideal um although i know that's not always ideal for everybody but we're trying to to put it in multiple places but yeah just a few events that i'll share that we're really excited about Uh, so we're launching on the 31st this year um the last few years it's been on the first it's on the 31st really excited to be inviting professor george elliott clark from u of t who's going to do the keynote which is really cool um and daniel clark bouchard who's like this prodigy is going to play do a performance for us which I'm really thrilled about and then just a side note on the second which is the Saturday um this is not connected to McGill but I'm gonna be you're doing a workshop doing a workshop I'm signed up amazing (laughs) okay I was gonna email to see what the numbers were amazing so I'm doing a writing workshop um and a writing circle, a writing and healing circle. Yeah, it's um, called Community Care, right? I yeah, believe. for the Communities of it's Care workshop, for, uh, conference. For the black women listening, it is, we're prioritized, yeah. right? And then uh, um, it's open to all black members of the community, is yeah. what I understood. Yeah, Yeah. so it's open to all black folks. Uh, black women will, will be prioritized, but it's really just a space to like bring your writing um, or not. Um and I'll also, I'll also do a performance before the workshop as well. So that's happening on the 2nd. So it would be really awesome. And then this, the, work, the, the performance is open to all, I believe. Yes. Everyone yes. can come see me perform, but only black people can come in the room. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just want to like be in a space with all of us and just write and share, um, which is always, feeling, always feels really powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few other events that I can talk about. So on... Um, February uh, 4th, which is the Monday, there's going to be an event um, on systemic discrimination as well as like black politics that uh, BSN is is taking the lead on. So we're coordinating with BSN, the Black Student Network, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, on the 6th in the evening, as we as we spoke about before, um, is the commemoration of the Congress of Black Writers. Yes, and actually that day, I really do want to plug this, is a very important mm-hmm. Shanice will be with us again. Yes. Um, we're going to be airing live from CKUT at 2 p.m. on that Wednesday. And we also have Gabriela Quinte, who uh, is the founder of um, Liberi Racine, who's going to be with us, and mm-hmm. Robin Maynard, who is like, I mean, everybody knows Robin's name yeah. right now. Um, poli- uh, the, the title, I just want to get it right. Um, Policing Black Lives mm-hmm. in Canada, is that? No, I'm... 
I don't, I don't think there's in Canada. No, I think it's just yeah, but it's based Canada. based on Canada. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, amazing author and also amazing organizer in a lot of other contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I got a, a dope crew. Yeah, it's gonna be a great day. So that's gonna be good. And then yeah. afterwards, after listening in, y'all can come and um, go to the conference. Um, yeah. So, how are you guys actually? I'd love to have more details about that. So, because I, I know it's kind of like a, uh, an honoring the Congress that happened in '68. Uh, mm-hmm. So '68, '69. '68, '69. Yeah. So, how are you guys re, not revamping it, but how are you like bringing it alive in this mm-hmm. um, iteration? Yeah. So there's gonna be lots of different parts. Um, so we're gonna have opening with like a cocktail and some performances and there's going to be a panel and so some pretty dope people on the panel like Dorothy Williams mm-hmm. which I'm really excited um, and also my friend Ellen Studley oh, like, you know as well yeah. yeah it's really cool and Ellen also has recordings has the tapes from the yes. Congress oh I'm yeah. so happy to hear so that so it's going to be really so it's really looking kind of at that history but there's also going to be a a focus on on today and that mm. present day and what are black writers writing about and talking about today. Oh, that's so um, good. And kind of making those links between history and present and future, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's on the 6th. And then on the uh, 10th, which is the Sunday, really excited about Community and Family Day. Yeah. Uh, so I'll Me post the baby. details about that. Me and baby will be yeah, out there. Yeah, bring the babies. We're <laughs> really excited. Um, I need to email her um so it's like 95 percent confirmed because i have to email her back but akila newton who just wrote um uh i think it's called big dreamers oh which i is think the Canadian I, Black yeah, History Activity oh, book. yeah she's gonna come and oh, do so like a storytelling hour oh and we'll do some we'll do some of the activities in the book as well um oh that's powerful yeah uplift is gonna do another dance workshop i have a friend who's gonna do a little astrology 101 Ooh. um I just confirmed with Malicious, who's going to come and facilitate an art activity. Oh, great. So it's going to be really, yeah, Engaging. Like bring your babies and Yes, come with the aunties. babies. It's so, I, I think, ugh, I'm so grateful for um, these moments and spaces in the community because I, like, I mean, I was always aware of about this even before having a child because, like, um, I think about intergenerational relationships mm-hmm. a lot. Like, uh, my mom's quite a bit older and, like, you know, I, I think about babies all the time, and, but it's like it's not—it's not often that um, people think about creating spaces for us to all be there together. Right. Um, so thank you for that. No, and of I course. will definitely be there, and you know, for all the families out there, bring your people. Let's have fun. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there are tons of events on the fifteenth as well. Um, BSN is going to organize another edition of Hair Day. So mm. That would be awesome. There'll be barbers on yeah. site and hairstylists. Yes. Um, and then maybe one more I'll share on the 18th, which is the Monday, um, in partnership with the Department of Pharmacology. We're going to have an event commemorating the memory of um, Dr. Kenneth Melville, okay. who was um, the director of, of pharmacology for many years at McGill. Oh. And um, this will be in collaboration with the Jamaica Association of Montreal oh. because he's from Jamaica. Oh, great. Um, and his grandson is actually going to be in town. So his grandson's going to be on the panel. Oh, so I'm going to moderate that. So that will also be really cool. And uh, the Jamaica Association of Montreal is catering. Ooh, forget and the about menu it, is y'all. really exciting. <laughs> so I'm going to show up for the food. Exactly. And also the history, but mostly the food. So y'all should come to that. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, so there's really like a big 
a big range of events that are happening. So Um, I will, as soon as Sunny sends me all the info, I will definitely put like the whole calendar Mm -hmm. up for everybody to check it out. Um, Sunny, what's the best way to stay in touch with what you do on regular? Like, is it like, do you accept a lot of friends on, on Facebook? Like, how does it like, how can people follow what you're doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, Facebook is like the best way of speaking of boundaries. I've been mm-hmm. like negotiating my boundaries around Facebook. Yeah, I feel that. Back and forth a little <laughs> bit, you know? Um, and so, yeah, feel free to like send me. I, I always ask if you're going to send me a friend request and we don't know each other, just send me a message mm. as well, which I appreciate. Yes. Um, you can follow Introductions. me. Introductions. If you met in person, totally. that yeah. would have been a, a little something. Totally, yeah. <laughs> you know? Just give me a little, a little info about who you are, mm-hmm. why you want to be my friend. Um, but no, I'm really happy to connect with people. So, you can also follow me on Facebook as well. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm, tr- I'm just reactivated my my uh, poetry Instagram. So you can follow me there as well, which is... Which is... Uh, that's what Shay said. That's what Shay yeah, said. Like, that's what she said, but S-H-A. Hey, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much my for pleasure. being here Thank with you. Us. Oh, this is lovely. I knew it. I knew it. I was like, I have so to have Shay here. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy you're finding your way back to... Yeah. Storytelling. Oh, it's really, it feels so good. It's yeah. just like, I feel so honored from by like what people feel comfortable sharing around me and then to be able to bring that to the larger community feels like a really uh, nice role. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you and thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. My pleasure. We'll see you in the next episode. Yeah, February 6th. I'll be back. <laughs> see y'all.